Welcome to episode 4 of No Blueprint. Tokavalu was born and raised in the South Pacific Kingdom of Tonga before migrating to the United States with his mother at age 14. His unique experience helped him develop a keen sense of awareness to empower students from elementary school to college. Today, Toka serves as the manager of student leadership programs at the University of Washington Samuel E. Kelly Ethnic Cultural Center. He is a proud Pacific Islander, youth advocate, community organizer, and artist in South King County. To see some of Toka's work, follow the links in the description. Also, we'd love to hear your feedback. Don't forget to subscribe, review, and rate our podcast. Follow No Blueprint on Twitter at No Blueprint Pod. Instagram at No Blueprint Podcast, Facebook, and on our website, NoBlueprintPodcast.com. Lastly, check out the playlist inspired by this podcast on Spotify. Peace. How big New Zealand was compared to Tonga mm-hmm. was always very appealing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was instilled very early, and I always go, yeah, I'm not going to live in this country. You know, this is, I love where I'm from. I love, I'm proud of where I came from, where my roots are. But, um, I just had I just knew that my life would be elsewhere. What's up everybody? I go by the name of Domo. And I go by the name of Yoshko. And each week we sit down with cultural ambassadors to talk about how they defied societal norms to live their lives with, with no, no blueprint. blueprint. I was born in eighty three in Tonga. And uh, for the first fourteen years of my life I spent it there in the islands. My dad was out of the picture before I was born. Not out of not wanting to take care of me, but out of uh, responsibility, because he's the eldest in his own family, in his family of eight. And so he left the country to kind of uh, help support them in New Zealand, because their parents had picked up and left. And so things just didn't work out, and so I grew up without the dad around. And so mom was pretty much both mom and dad for the first 14 years of life. And so in Tonga, it's a uh, constitutional monarchy, and with that said, unlike Great Britain, the United Kingdom, which I forget which one is called now, we the, the king still holds a majority of the power in our country. So appointing the cabinet of everyone who makes the laws, it's usually the king who appoints those folks. Having said that, there's a lot of things that left wanting for regular folks. And uh, I grew up uh, in a very pro-democracy type of family. That makes things a little interesting when it comes to Tonga's long-held history of bowing to authority, especially when it comes to nobility or the royal family. And my family kind of speaks their mind every now and then a little too much. <laughs> so, so still, so still to this day, there's a, a monarchy and there's a king and queen. There is. Okay. Yes. Okay. Oh wow. How long has the, I guess, kingdom been? In That's a great question. Since day there's, one. Uh, there's, there's been three dynasties in our country. Uh-huh. First dynasty was called the Tuitonga dynasty, and that was established about 11 to 1200 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, for about 600 years, they ruled until it got to a point where that particular dynasty was considered too holy to kind of do everyday kind of governing. And so he assigned the governor, governing uh, to a second dynasty. And so while this, this dynasty kept all the honorifics and all the reverence of being godly, um, the Tuihatakalawa, which is the second dynasty, took over ownership of governing Tonga. And from that point, that's when Tonga actually um, 
expanded into a maritime empire. So they they expanded into parts of Samoa. They expanded oh, wow. into Fiji, okay. and this was based again on the Second Dynasty. Um, once they took power, they thought, okay, it's time to grow. <laughs> wow. And so for about four or five hundred years, they they went pillaging. They were somewhat similar to the Vikings, quick strikes. Oh. And that's a very fascinating part of of, yeah. of my history to me. I don't know all of it, but um, it is a very uh, interesting part, just particularly because it's something that's in some communities, Samoans and Tongans are still have some kind of animosity towards each other. Mm. Mm. Um, it's more specifically with the old folks, and that might be more lingering attitudes from over six hundred years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's kind of silly, yeah. but um, the grudge. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so um, that dynasty well, um, lasted well into the nineteenth century, and the nineteenth century that particular dynasty fell off, and the current dynasty Tuikanokupolu which is a combination of some chiefly titles from Samoa. That's been happening for forever. But now the Tuitkanukpolu is the current dynasty that is in power, and there are about six, seven, seven kings in. Oh, okay. How long has that been? This particular dynasty? Yeah. Uh, so we're talking about 1800s, late, late 1800s. Wow. And the last, the, the last three kings have been only in the past 10 years. Wow. And that's just because oh. it was a quick... One king was barely in power for barely six years. He, I think he had some health issues. Mm. Uh, so it was just kind of uh, crazy, yeah. Okay. Wow, now I'm like intrigued about all I know. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you know so much history? I mean, it's interesting because for me, I know, I mean, I'm American, Japanese mm. American, but I don't know any mm. his, Japanese history. Very um, little to none. And so it's very, yeah. it's very impressive. Did you learn it while you were there or did you decide to study it and continue studying it? That's or? a great question. I actually learned a lot of it while I was there. Tongan culture, similar to a lot of uh, Polynesian cultures like Samoan, Hawaiian, we're very oral storytellers, and so we're big time storytellers. A lot of that rested, a lot of that responsibility was actually mom, was the mom's responsibility. Culturally, in Tonga, the mothers were the ones who were charged with teaching, imparting culture, and things yes. like that to their children. So there's a lot of gender roles, and so all folks were kind of defined by what role they had yeah. based on their genders. Uh, yeah, so I, I learned a lot of it through storytelling with, with just mom, mm-hmm. and I and I always had an affinity for for good stories, and not just the tongue and stuff. Three Little Piggies, I remember, was my favorite <laughs> story when I was a kid, and uh, and it's the way my mom used to tell it, she wouldn't read it out of a book. She would like kind of play it out. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. she would like. Um, Pull, pull this blanket over me, and I remember very distinctly, pull this blanket over me and uh, would act out the wolf, little piggy, little piggy, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm sitting there under the covers, like shivering, going, <laughs> you know what I mean? Nice. And so, it, you know, it, it was a very interactive storytelling that my mom really instilled in me, and I think I've enjoyed storytelling ever since. Nice. And so, like I said, so Three Little Piggies was, and so it means I loved all stories, Tongan, mm-hmm. the Three Little Piggies and all the, the Western stuff, the Berenstein Bears and all those. <laughs> I love <laughs> I was going to ask you, so was your, was your mother um, political? By virtue of how her parents raised her, yeah. Okay. She was always very vocally supportive of the Democratic Party in Tonga, and there's a very specific party in Tonga, the, the People's Democratic Party of Tonga. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, and for years, this one gentleman, Akirisi Pohiva, was there party's leader, even though there was like three members of the party. Um, People, I think, you know, exactly, you got to start somewhere, but I think 
people were so supportive of the royal family, and that's like I said, we're talking about thousands of years mm. of uh, attitude towards the monarchy or even a king in right. general, right? And so you don't just forget all that in in like a year, a few years. And so with that said, I think a lot of people were scared to outwardly be vocal or at least outwardly be supportive of something like democracy. A lot of pieces of it. Uh, should favor um, working class citizens, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of working class citizens in Tonga. I mean, right. um, and so my, but my mom, um, along with my family, they've always been um, vocal about things. And this traces back to um, Christianity and how it even swept across our islands. Mm-hmm. Methodists were really the ones who took over most of our islands. Catholics came later. My family converted Catholic like at the tail end of when the Methodists were kind of taking over the rest of the islands. And that even has some impact on how political alliances or parties are kind of drawn today. Most of the royal family is Methodist. Most of mm. my family is Catholic. So there's there's a little bit of that in how people are vocal too, you know. So like I said, my mom has uh, always been very vocal, um, very respectful. of the. She recognizes the importance in how, how people uh, revere royalty and the nobility, and she is too, but she will not break her back to give them stuff just because they're <laughs> right. royal family, you know? And that's, and that's an attitude I think a lot of uh, um, American-born Tongans are kind of taking on to just because they didn't grow up in Tonga, mm-hmm. and so there's that little bit of reverence for something like a king that doesn't necessarily affect your lives here. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not present all that much, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Dang. We could talk about this for hours. I know. Well, I'll just go back to coming here to the United States, right? And so okay. for 14 That's years, fun. I grew up in Tonga. I grew up speaking both English and Tongan. Wow. And, uh, and, and so I think that that really helped my transition, at least in, in some sense. But it also kind of made me invisible also. And by that, I mean, because the language itself was not an issue for me, uh, people just kind of assumed I was like a second or third generation immigrant, and so my issues weren't as important. Coming here, the, the social awkwardness of being a teenager on top of being an immigrant, mm. all of that was made very, very uh, apparent in high school especially, right. right? Teenagers are so kind of, it's a weird, <laughs> it's a weird and yeah. cool, you know? Yeah. And I so I, I was, yeah, it's, Go ahead. What no, was I, was t- I was just telling someone today, like, teenagers are the worst. So. <laughs> they're, they're so mean. They're so um, they're, yeah, they're mean. Middle school to teens, yeah. Yeah. And you're awkward. You feel awkward, too. So right. it's, all, it's all bad. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I even remember just walking down the hallway and for the first time ever seeing two people make out. <laughs> in the middle, in the middle of the hallway, hallway. and I'm like, they're tripping. What school was this? This was in uh, Kent Junior High, which is oh. now Mill Creek Middle School. Oh. Yeah, Kid Junior High had a reputation. <laughs> <laughs> Vandals, yes, KJH Vandals. They, they, it was so bad they closed it down. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, they rebranded. Right. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was so bad they right. had to rebrand. I went. I went well, to we get rid of Junior Highs. Right. Yeah, we're yeah. yeah like, school. And it's gonna. And yeah, the new one high. is called Mill Creek. <laughs> <laughs> It's not even close. It sounds polite. It sounds <laughs> Mill Creek or Middle. Mill Creek. Mill Creek Middle School. That's weird. Like Mill Creek, the city. Right, right. How they got there, I don't know. But they were like, look, easy. The, they they were the kid junior high vandals. Like they, their mascot mm-hmm. was there. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. a self fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely, <laughs> got it. absolutely, got it. absolutely. And so wait, so you mm. were um, ninth grade. Ninth grade, exactly. Ninth grade. Yeah. Oh, mm. and since it was Kent, 
yeah. Kent was seven, eight, nine yeah. at the time. Yeah. So he was, it was still middle exactly. school. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. wow. And um, Tonga's, Tonga's um, academic calendar year starts in February okay. and ends in November or December, I think. Okay. And so even that was like, I came actually halfway through my ninth grade year in Tonga. And, and so I had to restart to it, you know, so I had to restart oh. pretty much because September is when, oh. or August is when the school year starts here. Yeah. So that was, that was interesting as well. Math, <laughs> right. English, it's right. all very different. What made you, your uh, family move? Great question. Um, so like I said, my dad was out of the picture before mm-hmm. I was born. He had maintained contact all those years after supporting his family. And for a few years, he had found, uh, you know, another um another woman and so my mom pretty much took care of me for the first 14 years and then at 14 she actually came here in 96 for the holidays because we have family here in in Seattle right and so she came to visit them and it was just by chance that she actually ran into her ex-boyfriend from high school here in Seattle oh wow and um, (laughs) in that moment they uh, they decided to get married Wow. And so in ninety six, exactly. On a whim, or you know, they 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 United. dated in high school, and they were really, you know, they were really great, yeah. I guess. And then he left um, Tonga in like eighty eight or something like that, mm-hmm. or yeah, I don't know. They it's long history, long okay. long ago history, but I'm not too sure of the details. But main point is, he came out here, had a family had three kids of his own. They're all about my age. So my stepsister is about my age. There's another stepsister who's uh, tw- um, 31, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then I have a stepbrother who's uh, just turned 27. Okay. And so um, he had three kids of his own. 96, my mom and him re-link- uh, rekindled. Mm-hmm. She came back and said, hey son, we're going to the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right, mom, sounds good. So you were okay with it? You're like, okay. You know, I grew up always knowing that I wasn't Tonga was not going to be my home. Wow. Yeah, okay. I I knew that for for a fact. How did you know that? Uh, Tonga's real small. Okay. And um, yeah, I'm just. I think I just. I can't. I can't explain it necessarily in words, but I had always liked my trips to New Zealand because I had family who my grandparents moved mm-hmm. to New Zealand. And they lived there, and I even spent time back and forth between New Zealand and Tonga. And I think from a very early age, I liked traveling. So even going on planes was really cool to me. How big New Zealand was compared to Tonga mm-hmm. was always very appealing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was instilled very early. And I always go, yeah, I'm not gonna live in this country. This is I love where I'm from. I love. I'm proud of where I came from, where my roots are. But. Um, I just had. I just knew that my life would be elsewhere, Interesting. Where, and it happened to be in the United States. And so, oh, yeah, nice. yeah. Where's Tonga in comparison to New Zealand? Very good question. Um, so New Zealand is in the southern hemisphere of the of the Pacific Ocean. Tonga would be. Uh, I don't know necessarily in miles, but it's about three and a half hours northeast of New Zealand. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. So it's uh, actually more like three hours. It's not that far. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, nice. Interesting. When's the last time you went back? And how often do you go back? Very good question. Uh, 2011 was the last time I went back to Tonga. Before that, it was 2004. So I'm, I'm guessing that might be the pattern. It's like every, every eight years yeah, or so. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so it's coming up. Yeah. So it's yeah, coming yeah, up pretty soon. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think got this it. time around, I'll got to take. I got to take my wife. Nice. And uh, she'll nice. see see the homestead and every everything I did when I was a kid. That's yeah. legit. So when your mom told you you're coming to America, mm-hmm. 
Have you? Did you know anything about the Pacific Northwest or? No, I did not know anything about Seattle. My experience with the United States was the Bay Area, San Francisco. That's okay. where my mom's sister lives, and that's where we visited the first time I came to the United States. I came to the United States in um, what was it, '94, I think. We came straight to the Bay Area. I liked it. Mom didn't quite like it because uh, uh, I think we were already considering a move to the United States at that point, I guess. Mm. Um, well, she was considering it, but that trip to the Bay Area totally turned her off to oh, the U.S. altogether. For mind. some reason, I don't know, something about the Bay Area she didn't like. Mm. No, I'm not trying to throw shade at the Bay Area. I like the Bay Area, like, like I said. We stopped in Richmond. <laughs> shout, shout out to Richmond. <laughs> Well, maybe it was just uh, where we were, where my aunties were. But yeah, 94, we came. She didn't like it. And then 96, when she came back to visit um, my family in Seattle. That was her first time in Seattle, too. Oh, okay. Seattle's climate is very, very different from Tonga. Tonga is very dry, dry heat. And uh, I grew up actually a very sickly, asthmatic kid. Okay. And so every other week, I was like rushed to the hospital because I didn't. Damn. We didn't. I didn't have the little inhaler, albuterol inhaler. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't have that. I don't know why I didn't have that. I, we could have. We could have gotten it. I don't. I'm not sure. But <laughs> but we we rushed to the hospital every other week because I was having attacks. Mm. And I I kind of tend to believe that it was it was probably the weather. And then when we came here in '97, uh, I haven't been sick ever since. Nice. Really? I think I think this uh, this this rain. And the Northwest climate, I think, has has really been good for my lungs. So, oh wow! Um, nice. Like, yeah, this is a good. This is yeah. a sign. <laughs> I like, I like <laughs> I think you. I should stay here. Yoshi, do you have, do you have asthma? No. Well, I do. Shout out to asthma. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, not that I know of. I, would I know, feel. Right? I feel I the pain, right? bro. See, I, feel I, used, it. I used to have asthma attacks as a kid, mm. and I had like the. Um, is that is that called a nebulizer? That's the one that I it's kept so going to the. What's a it's like the little it's terrible. It's like a machine that you like have to put up to your mouth <laughs> and it gets this. like smoke. It's terrible. <laughs> My brother just used to make fun of me so much. It's like this blue little contraption <laughs> about the size of a VCR uh-huh. hooked to a mask that goes to your, straight to your face and it just blows like this vaporizing smoke. So when smoke. do you use it? When you when have an asthma attack. Oh, okay. Yo, it's so it's real. not just like at night when you go to sleep. It's like, no, when you're having asthma attacks. When you're having asthma attacks, you use that thing. Usually, usually mm-hmm. it tells you waking up in the middle of the night. And your Man, I knew how to set the whole thing up yeah, by yeah, myself. Yeah, I, yeah after, after, after a few days, my parents were like, yeah, we're not getting up. Yo, hey, hey. Get in there and get on that nebulizer. You know how to do it. Uh, you know how to do it now. All right. Oh, memories. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. (laughs) See, we had to rush to the hospital several times before my my auntie in the Bay Area actually bought one and sent it back home to us. (laughs) Just like, oh. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I don't, I have to ask my parents, and I'm sure my father will listen to this, but I have to ask my parents uh, how long it took them before it was like, all right, here you go. Um, My brother... It's weird. I, I, my brother never used a nebulizer, but mm. he still uses an inhaler for running. I think after mm. a while, I just stopped using the inhaler, mm. um, and my asthma got a little better. Mm. I don't, and I have, I have no idea why. But well, a, a lot of people who have it as kids tend to grow out of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think uh, asthma is more problematic when people get it later on in their adulthood. Right. My uncle. Oh. 
two of my uncles have have developed asthma, no. and it's really tough for them because yeah. they're they used to be very athletic, you know, and wow. they're, so they're used to being active, yeah. and uh, they just hate it. <laughs> See, no. Could have been in the yeah. NBA, but I had asthma. <laughs> <laughs> Help me down. Help me down. <laughs> um, oh, so you come man. to Seattle. I come to Seattle. Your asthma clears up. <laughs> asthma clears up. It's a sign, you know. And um, I went straight to Kent Junior High. Okay. Shout out to the Vandals. No longer around. I <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, all of high school, including um, KJH and Kent Meridian High School, where I went after. Mm-hmm. I don't have very pleasant memories of high school. Not mm-hmm. like it was like super traumatic or. Not that I was bullied or anything, but the the experience of being lonely and I think um, feeling invisible was was that was the traumatic part for mm-hmm. me, and I think that's really what I would um, say about my whole immigrant experience. Those first four or five years here mm-hmm. in the states, it's just feeling like um, like no one knew what the heck a Tongan was. Uh-huh. No one really cared. People were kind of curious here and there. And, but curious to the point where they can identify something that they can latch their mind on. Like, oh, like Hawaii. Oh, like like hula. You guys right. do hula, right? So then they they stop caring after that point. Uh, right. <laughs> so so there wasn't a big community. Um, no, no. In, in the high school or in the Kent area. Yeah, Kent area especially. There was not okay. a big Tongan community at that point. Okay. That's not the case today. Interesting. It is I not the it. case today. There's a lot of Samoans and a lot of Tongans out in the Kent area. And I think that's reflective of uh, gentrification yeah. in the Seattle area, because South Seattle used to have a lot of Tongans and Samoans, mm. mm-hmm. and um, the more recent years after 2000, uh, that changed. And so a lot of my families have moved south into Federal yeah. Way, yep. Kent, Tacoma, okay. so okay. they're no longer in Seattle. Okay, yeah. yeah, so I grew up in South Seattle, and I remember going to school with a lot of uh, Pacific Islanders, mm. and you know, I work with the high schools now, and I don't see as many. Yeah, but exactly. Okay, so that's why they're moving more south. Yeah, we're okay. moving south, okay. fair away, like I said. It yeah. rents too too uh, too high out here. Mm. <laughs> too damn high. Too damn high. <laughs> um, so when did when did you discover art? That's a great question. Art has been in my life since I can remember. Okay. I explained earlier that my mother was was a very interactive storyteller. And that included the art piece. So sometimes, nice. and so just to make sure, Three Little Piggies, again, was my favorite yeah. stories, right? Yeah. I'm saying it was my real, my real, 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 real favorite. Okay. Um, so instead of just acting it out, it, that wasn't enough. She had to draw that stuff out. No. I want to see it in drawing. I want to see all of that. <laughs> so mom even took out the, the pen and paper and she drew out the story as it was happening. Nice. Um, and I think at that early stage in my life, uh, I think I was four, four or five, I picked up what she was doing and just kind of copied it. And I never, and I, and I never stopped doing it ever since. So I think as far as uh, artists are concerned, I think everyone's an artist. Some folks just tend to uh, nurture that, mm-hmm. that part of, your, of themselves for way longer than others. Some people find different interests, and that's okay. You know, but we're all artists, I think, in my opinion. I just can't draw. I feel like I'm an artist, but drawing is not my... You know, art comes in many forms. This, this, this is true. This is true. This is true. I used to write 16. <laughs> With the drawing, like I said, I picked it up when about four or five, and I never put it down. And even throughout my experience, and that's, that's been the one constant thing, actually. My, whenever I drew, 
I was consistently supported by strangers left and right yeah. in my whole like, school school experience. Like, oh, you're good. Nice. Can you do this one for me? And so, you know, I had ample opportunity to just keep practicing, keep doing it, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And people kept affirming that, oh yeah, that's that's good. That's pretty good. You should just keep doing it. And nice. so, again, I think it's part of art is um, the opportunity to to affirm that that it's good. Mm-hmm. And to keep practicing, I think, is, is, an, is an important piece as well. And so yeah, I, um, I had ample opportunity to keep practicing and, and be affirmed that it was good. And so I've never stopped doing it ever since. That is and so nice. today, yeah. I still do it. With my, and I'm, I'm on Instagram. Yes. Eight boulders. Yes. <laughs> so the number eight. Number eight. The number eight. Boulders. The word like boulders. Yes. Rocks. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking. Uh, I'm looking at your Instagram page right now. <laughs> I see you do shoes as well. What kind of uh, mediums or... Materials do you use? That's a great question because because the honest truth is I like all of it. Oh, okay. Um, but my main mediums that I use is are sharpies. Sharpies, uh, I love sharpies. Nice. They there's something about the finality of putting down that thick black line. They're like, yeah, that's <laughs> tight. That's, that's dope. I like that. <laughs> I guess going back a little, mm-hmm. how did you get to UW and why UW? So when I came here. In 97, like I said, my experience was more more or less about just kind of feeling invisible, both in the uh, academic environment at school, just because people didn't really know what that was, and even at home to an extent, uh, and I don't, I'm not trying to throw shade on my family or anything, but but you know, it's, it's difficult for any step family to, to kind of, for any family to integrate a stepchild, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that was, that was really the, the difficulty that I had at home is kind of figuring out exactly where, how I fit into a family that was already established. Mm-hmm. I'm not blood relative, but you're all my age, but now you had to call me your brother. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to react to my stepdad as my dad now. So, so I think uh, that, that in that age, I think was uh, pretty tough and so, with that all kind of culminating to just not really seeing myself going beyond high school. And that kind of changed two years, uh, about a year after I graduated in 2001 mm-hmm. from Kent Marine. I was still undocumented at that point. Um, we had came here on a visitor's visa. We overstayed it. And we um, had immediately applied for, for residency based on my mom's marriage to mm-hmm. my stepdad. Mm-hmm. So that process took a total of about seven years, and it wasn't until 2003 that I actually got my papers. But in that time, between 01 and 03, my mom had taken part of this uh, community corrections course at South Seattle Community College through their New Holly campus in South Seattle. And the instructor there, Joe Garcia, was actually like this really bubbly personality, really infectious laughter, and um, this, this uh, in, he had this, um, insistence on following up with my mom for some reason. And so because of that, she linked me up with him. I took part of his class as well. And from there, he kind of put the idea of, you know, you should do college. I'm like, huh? Like, you should, you should uh, try to do university. I'll link you up with somebody. And long story short, I, he linked me up with someone in the recruitment unit at UW. Oh, okay. And so that was my first experience with someone there. And so... When I met up with him, he told me, and I was already considering the Art Institute at that point, just to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. carry on that that um, that skill. But Art Institute is so expensive. Sorry, yeah, but um, really it's expensive. so expensive. And so, but when I met up with him, he said, you know, if if we do this, I need you to commit super, um, 
come only to the University of Washington. Hmm. And so I was like, okay, sounds good. And so from there, he helped me with my essays, linked me up with the local PI community or, um, organizations at U University of Washington, so Polynesian Alliance. Hmm. So that was my first uh, foray into that world. And it wasn't until then that I really felt affirmed, okay, being Tongan is okay. Nice. Right? And so I think, oh. I think it kind of came full circle that having that experience in high school, being feeling invisible to coming to UW and finding a community of folks that where you, who you are fully, comprehensively is okay. You should not leave any of that at the door. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, oh. The, oh, go ahead, Ty. I was gonna say, so it took about six, seven years yeah. for that? Wow. Mm -hmm. And so it took six, seven years, and it was like, uh, and I came into the PI student orgs, and they helped me through that process. I wasn't immediately admitted; I was actually kind of um, denied, and it was real heartbreaking. But but they but that community again took me took me under their wing, and uh, did the appeals process, and it worked, wow. <laughs> right? And so so the appeals process got in, oh three, and. Uh, the rest is history, pretty much. Because right. so it was, it's a long, arduous journey. But I think coming to UW couldn't have come at a better time. Just because, yeah, it just kind of reaffirmed of why it's okay to be who you are. Yes. Yeah. Your art and right. uh, in college, how did how did you mm. see, did your art change, or how did you see it flourish when you got to UW? Um, let's see. I think. The one consistent thing in everything I've been doing as far as art's concerned since I was a kid is just a lot of lines. Mm -hmm. That evolved eventually in college into my love for Sharpies, mm -hmm. right? Um, in high school, I did a lot, of, um, a lot of pencil, and so I did a lot of portraits of um, like Tupac and all these, just people, just stuff people asked me to, to, to draw for them, right? The cars, um, rappers, and things like that. And then I started, actually high school, my senior year was when I started getting to Sharpies, really. Because mm -hmm. that's, um, that's right around the time um, Star Wars Episode One came out, right? Mm -hmm. And Darth Maul was such a big, he's oh, a visually yeah. striking character, yeah. Yeah. right? He's a visually striking character with his, with his badass weapon. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I was like so intrigued by how he looked and how mean he looked and things like that. So I, I drew that all over the place. Mm -hmm. And people were like, oh dude, can you draw Darth Maul for me on my yearbook? <laughs> And so that there's like your signature. There's so many different yearbooks from the 2001 Cam reading class with Darth Maul. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was all me, exactly. And so I think uh, from there, uh, it, it, I just kept buying sharpies. And, and and when I got to college, the Polynesian Student Alliance, which I joined that same year that I got in there, um, asked me to do the T-shirt designs for their annual Poly Polynesian Day performance, nice. right? And so for about six years, I designed those t-shirts oh, at UW. Yeah, because like, oh, this guy's good. We're gonna ride him for hey, as long it. as we can. You don't charge, yep. Right. <laughs> yeah, you, you do the t-shirts forever. <laughs> right. Um, and so in college, I think it really kind of took on a, a different, it evolved into the more finer details with, mm -hmm. with lines, and so, in addition to Sharpies, I, I bought like those Micron pens oh, with yeah, the yeah, yeah. 0 .005 yeah. right, right, tips, right, right, and I think right, right. I, I really enjoyed the meticulousness of, of putting detail on paper yeah. with nice. those pens, and so that took it a different direction, right? And so today, um, I've dabbled with uh, paint, watercolor, um, putting it on shoes, trying to write, write, you know, just like stories. Nice. Like I said, um, 
I love stories, and so I've been trying to write a lot of what I remember growing up, and I've been writing a series of Maui stories. Wow. Now, now that now that Moana's super popular, I've been writing this series of Maui stories for the past 10 years and constantly revising them. And now that Moana's so big, I'm like, oh, it's about time to yes. put these right, out, right? right. <laughs> no, there's a market. There's, there's a market. market now. There's a niche. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a need for it. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, uh, my art, I think, has, has kind of, it's all really about just creativity and just nice. kind of um, creating content, especially content that speaks to my heritage um, from Tonga. And I'm trying to figure out how to work my experience as a American as well. Because yeah, I've, I've nice. recently owned that 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 title, Tongan American. I've never thought of myself as that, but I am. I very much am. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Changing gears. Yeah. What have you been listening to lately? I grew up. So this is funny because because a few years ago, on the radio, these Eagles songs come. It was like Best of Eagles or something like that. And somehow I like I know. Why do I know this tune? Wait, why do I know these words? Wait, what the heck? So I, I, I kind of dug back into it, and I know a lot of these old stuff because my parent, my mom, played that stuff around the house when I was a little kid running around the house. Mm-hmm. And so I really like the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been listening to them a lot. I've, nice. I really like Bee Gees. <laughs> nice. I like this old stuff. Nice. Right? <laughs> yeah. So a lot of this, this uh, the, the 70s funk, uh, I really like it. Um, this band Dynasty, I think, from the 70s. Mm, okay. There's a kind of a disco... Uh, field, uh, Bill Withers, I really like him. Um, Bill yeah, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of that old, um, the, all, the, all those old love songs, Lenny Williams and, and all that. Nice. I, I really like that sound, like that era of uh, of R and B. Moving into the '80s, I enjoy the '80s too, with all the the synth heavy stuff. Not so much the rock, but more the the pop type stuff. Mm-hmm. So the Jets, yeah, right, the Jets uh, in the, the Jets, '80s, they're talking. Yeah. Oh, are they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, for some reason, yeah. I thought they were Filipino. <laughs> no, they're talking. Yeah. Wow. They are talking. So, so were they big? They were huge in Tonga. <laughs> Nice. They That's were awesome. Huge. Did they ever play? Did they ever go back and do concerts? They didn't. No. So they were supposed to come back to Tonga for a concert, but they canceled. People oh. were livid. Oh. They were They're so right. upset. No. <laughs> they were, they were right. so upset. I didn't know they that. They were so upset. People were so upset. But yeah, the That's the so Jets cool. are Tongan, and they've they've done a like a reunion tour recently. Yeah. And a lot of Tongans have gone to that. Has yeah. there has there been any other Tongan groups since? Or no, they they are musician? the biggest. <laughs> That Tongans have ever taken it in yeah. the music industry. Listen, I like them though. I, I like Googles. them. Jets. I gotta do my Google. <laughs> I thought they were Filipino. I knew they weren't like white or black or Latino, yeah. you know? So yeah. I was like, oh, they're Filipino. I don't know why. I'm sorry. That's so cool. Yeah. I learned something. Yeah. I mean, I learned a lot today, but. So the uh, uh, the okay. Jets and so a lot of that kind of sound yeah. that the Jets had, um, yeah. as, as I enjoy that, and in the '90s, of course, you have the R&B of the '90s. Listen, R&B is oh, of the yes. 90s, you know. Joe and Casey and Jojo and all that, yeah. Uh, and recently, I've I've also I, what I've listened to a lot in my office at work is a lot of UB40. Mm. So that's that's kind of uh, what the radio played a lot when I was a kid growing oh, up in okay. Tonga. So we played a lot of UB40, and that that's kind of my my security, f- my safety, <laughs> yeah. my safety yes. music. Like, yeah, yeah this is, Toka had this is safe. <laughs> My office was next to Toka's. And I'd be like, yo, Toka's <laughs> <laughs> jamming. Nice. Uh, so yeah. is there any, growing up, did you, was there any, oh, because you are saying the Jets and UB40s, mm-hmm. it's very Western music, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Was there any 
local, yeah, that were like really big, or was it very Western influenced? It was very Western influenced, but but Tonga had its its music, of course. But I don't know. I didn't appreciate it until later. You know what I mean? So I think until I left the islands and actually got into college and uh, been away from that music for as long as I was, and then listening to it again, kind of understanding the, the lyrics a little yeah. differently. A lot, of, a lot of Tongan music is written very metaphorically because mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't speak straight Tongan or like very everyday Tongan and, and write that into a song. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense. It, it, it's, yeah. it sounds weird. Mm-hmm. I've heard it before, like, yeah, this, this sounds weird. You have to write it metaphorically because that's, that's the way Tongan music has to be written. That's just, yeah. that's my opinion. And so when I started listening to it again, I really appreciated it a lot more. And then I even asked questions to my mom, like, what do these lyrics mean? Like, who re- wrote these? Like, yeah, that's actually your uncle. Like, oh, what? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> look at you. Artists you know, in the family. So, so there, you know, there's, okay. there's all this, this uh, self-exploration and kind of re- uh, rediscovering like oh dang oh, yeah, this yeah. Is, this song is much closer to me than I yeah. thought it was you know yeah. so oh, um, there's definitely a lot of that and I think um, I enjoy listening to some of this stuff it's funny because I think back to when my mom would switch it to these old tongue and songs on the radio I'm like oh, this is boring music <laughs> <laughs> but now I listen to it I'm like yeah I like it <laughs> This is it. This is it. But uh, we will let you go. Can right. you give us yeah. a, a quick uh, drop? Yeah. So again, thank you for having me. This is Tokovalu. Uh, my Instagram is 8boulders. You can check out a lot of my art there. And you have been listening to the No Blueprint podcast. Yes. Thank you. Yes.